Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Cheesy. I'm Chaba. And I'm Hino. A new team has just started and you have been uh, hired as their coach. This team has some experience working together. Uh, they have not worked in a continuous delivery a model before. They don't necessarily know what continuous delivery is. They may conflate it with continuous integration. And uh, now it's your job uh, as their coach to get this team up and running and continuously delivering. What's your first move? Uh, my first move is to get them into the code and start to write something really small. Uh, what I would probably do is work with them to make a very, very small change to something that, that exists already and to have them watch that go all the way through the system. In other words, have them take it all the way to production. And by the way, not, not just a random change, but a change maybe that a product person wants because I would want them to, first of all, experience what it means to go quickly to production, number one. Number two, I want them to be aware that, yes, this is real, and that that helped walk them through all of the quality checks that we do in order to do that. And so that would be, probably be the first thing that I would do is get them into the code and deliver something small. Chaba, Cheesy just skipped the entire human element of team development and went straight into coding. What do you have to say to him? I was about to say that I would, I, I don't want to spend too much time on the on, on the preparatory uh, elements, but I would love to form some alliances with some of the leaders, prepping them a little bit on to at what's coming because uh, this new team is most likely going to go some going to go some rough times, and and usually it's good to form these alliances in the early phases of, uh, of, a, of a team forming, when everybody is kind of very optimistic, everybody is looking forward to this, this new team, uh, just to make sure that when the rough waters come, the, these leaders can support the team. Uh, Chaba, alliances sounds like a term out of Game of Thrones where the Lannisters are meeting the Starks and uh, the Starks are forming an alliance with the Boltons. What do you mean by these alliances? Like, and, and where? why are they so important? Yeah, for sure. So when I mean by alliance, it's more like getting the trust, like building trust between the leadership and the coach, uh, the, the, the team and the coach, the, the, pretty much the leadership and the team, right? Because, because without trust, it's very, very hard to, to, to go into those, into those rough times. And, and the reason I, I say alliance, because, because we are in this together. Typically, there is a, lots of finger pointing happens when, when, when bad things happen. If this togetherness can be formed, then, then again, I'm going to go back when the hard times come, then we are in this together and how can we solve this, 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 these problems together? How do you get a new team who hasn't done continuous delivery before and create a safe environment where I'm guessing they're going to make some mistakes early on because it's the first time they're work, working in this way. How do you create an environment which is safe enough for a team to actually experiment and, and play with continuous delivery? What I would do in order to create that safe environment is to ensure that, uh, that everyone kind of knows who's around the table, who's uh, in the team, what is important to them, right? So what I try to do with a, with a new team is is have them um, have them tell a little bit more about themselves, or or have uh, have people ask them questions in a, in a in a playful way. Of course, it's not not like sitting around the table and being being interrogated. It's really about figuring out what drives each and every individual on the team to be 
part of this. What drives me to get out of bed and and put my my best foot forward uh, in context of this this team, uh, and what drives you and what drives somebody else as well. And if we all know this, what drives individual people, then we can start thinking about how can we ensure that that they get this. How can we ensure that they have this motivation? And somebody might say, well, you know what? What drives me is the fact that I can. I can work with new technology. Another person might say, what drives me is the fact that I can do something valuable that actually my my customers need, that will will have a better life, have an easier way of dealing with certain problems. Uh, Another person might say, you know what, what drives me is the fact that I can learn all the time, right? So all of that stuff can come together. And when you understand that of each and every individual on your team, uh, you might bring that back to continuous delivery and say, okay, so, so let's figure out within this this kind of framework, how you can all get what you really want in order to uh, to come to work um, in, a, in a motivated way on a daily basis. And that should create a good basis for that trust, of course. I think we all know that trust is, uh, is really hard to build, but is... Uh, can be taken away very, very quickly. So that's not going to be a process that is uh, that is finished in, in two days or in, in the first week of, of the team coming together. But it is, uh, it's going to build a great foundation to, uh, to start working together. I think I would have them do some sort of a code kata or some sort of an exercise just so I can take stock on what we're working with. Because if you have a team from different experiences and have worked in different ways, and you're not 100% sure on what their, uh, what their familiarity is with, uh, you know, the concept of always having your code in a releasable state, which may be a big, big uh, mindset shift for them. A big part of coaching is often observation. But sometimes you need to see a team go through an exercise so you can observe what they're missing in that exercise so that you can align your coaching to it. So cheesy. H- having heard some of the uh, some of the uh, responses here, take two. A new team is coming. What would you going to have them do? I, I don't think I would change uh, what what I said. Uh, first of all, let me let me come back and address a couple of the things that were said. The the idea of doing some katas first. One of the challenges that you have doing that approach is that a lot of times people can do small, simple little katas, but then as soon as they move to doing their real work. They're still completely lost. Uh, I have that constantly with with teams, even mature teams sometimes have difficulty with that. So I think right from the get go, learning how to apply these technical skills to whatever framework we might be working with, whatever language we might be working with in a production code base, I think is more valuable. And yes, there, there is risk there, but the team is mobbing or the team is all working together to keep each other honest. And I would be there to oversee it. As far as as building the alliances and 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 such, what I would do instead is try to build a, a common vision and a common goal, which is that goal is about taking small pieces of value and delivering it, working closely with our business partners. And so I think by doing that right away, I set the foundation for this is how we, you know, this is what we want. This is how we work. Uh, as far as how we do it, we could figure out the methodology, the lightest methodology that would possibly work in order to service the end goal, which is to deliver that software. So uh, along with it, especially in the second and third and fourth story, potentially, would be peppered in some methodology ideas or some concepts uh, as well. But but I wouldn't make that my primary focus up front. And yeah, teams are going to storm and norm. 
Uh, but I, I think that there's something really magical about storming and norming around something concrete, deliverable, that, as opposed to, you know, marshmallow games and things like that. What are some of the challenges, uh, maybe mental hurdles? Uh, let, let's leave the technical skill aside. Like, what, what are some of the mental hurdles you have encountered when you try to coach a team into thinking in terms that my code should always be releasable? Because oftentimes in big, small, medium companies, there's always a release phase to things. Uh, we, we, we're not all Facebook and Amazon where we're deploying thousand times a day. Like, what, what are some of the mindset challenges that you have to encounter to get a team thinking that, hey, my, my code should always be in a releasable state? Fundamentally, a lot of developers believe that we build something and then we test it after we're finished. Uh, or actually, quite a few of them believe I build something and then somebody else will test it for me. And so that that probably is the largest hurdle to what you specifically said, which is code being in a release state at all times. So that 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 always is a problem making that mind shift that change probably the largest one. There there are some other things that, that we run into from time to time. For example, there still are a lot of people that believe that that having branches is the safest way to manage code and source code, and trying to overcome that is always a difficulty as well. Uh, there are people that believe that that it's not important for them to understand the business or interact closely with. Uh, with their business partners or product owners. And uh, I find that to be problematic as well. But but probably by far the number one hurdle that I run into is, is just the whole notion that my job is not to just write code, but my job is to write code that works and that I demonstrate that it works by having automated tests. There's a fundamental point when, when a team is formed and a decision is made, whether Will a team have a team lead or a tech lead or, or not? And, and the reason I want to point this out, because, because that, that position could be very detrimental on the long term for a team. Often what happens are lots of, uh, lots of decisions now defer to the single person. And for example, what Cheesy mentioned about the branches or about like, like did a bunch of, a bunch of technical decisions. And, and one of the, again, pros and cons is that if if the team is the team experienced enough to make these decisions, but ultimately they would gain that experience. I think the, the biggest danger is is to kind of just roll with whatever the tech lead says, or just roll whatever the organization kind of kind of imposes, and not willing to to, to try new things or a little bit pushing the status quo. And and I think if a team doesn't have per se like a lead who is going to decide all these things for them. Then there's a chance that that they can create something greater on the on the on the long term and ultimately get to continuous delivery easier because it's their decision and not a single person's decision. Is it possible to do continuous delivery without an autonomous team who is able to create their own structures and practices? That's a good question. We've we've been running on the assumption during this particular recording, this particular session that continuous delivery is already in place in a company or within the department or whatever uh, that the team is stood up in. All the infrastructure is in place, the pipeline is there, uh, there is, a, there is a, a history of continuous delivery, and there is just a new team that is stood up in this particular environment. On one side, if, if it is the case, 
then the only way that I can see that it gets there is by having autonomous teams. If you already have continuous delivery and you know that it works, why would you get rid of those autonomous teams and not give the same autonomy to the new team that is stood up? That's one. Second, if that's not the case and you're standing up a new team in an environment that doesn't have all the infrastructure in place, then you would need to make it an autonomous team in order to get there in the first place. So um, I, I think I just answered your question and saying, I, I, I don't believe it's possible to do it without an autonomous team. The reason why, why, why you wouldn't be able to do it is because it's crucial for continuous delivery to work, that the responsibility for the quality and, and, and delivery as a whole sits with each and every one on the teams. And, uh, and unless you have an autonomous team, you will not have that. When we're talking about autonomy, one thing that I have seen, uh, and I'm going to call this an anti-pattern, is companies or organizations that create a centralized, let's call it a DevOps team, who dictate how all of the other teams should do things. Like, for example, they specify the pipeline. Here is your pipeline. It cannot change. You have to do these things. And by the way, here's exactly how everything has to be structured here, you know, and and the problem is is that that you cannot hold a team accountable for quality and yet take away their ability to affect quality. So this whole idea of centralized DevOps is is an anti pattern in a continuous deployment, continuous delivery world. What would happen if we did not give a team an autonomy? Like what what if we said this is how you work, this is how you will do things because it's a quote unquote proven pattern in an organization. It's an archetype, if you will. What's the what's the problem with that if that pattern has sort of been proven in other areas of the organization as being quote unquote successful? Well, the first thing that you're doing is you're taking away ownership entirely. What that basically means is that somebody else will own the process for this particular new team. If somebody else will own the process and the only thing that they need to do is to follow it, then who cares if something goes wrong? If something goes wrong, it's not our fault. First of all, we don't have the autonomy to fix it because we're just following the process. So it's somebody else's fault who, who actually created this process for us, right? So you, you're removing that ownership. You're removing that drive to deliver excellent work. You, you can't expect people to want to deliver excellent work within that kind of an environment. The only thing that they might potentially want is to follow the process as closely as they possibly can. So you kind of require that ownership to understand that the outcome is really important. We talked in quite a few episodes about outcome already, that that outcome is really important, that quality is important, the fact that the pipeline is automated, the fact that every single step that we don't require that slows us down when we go into production, that we can challenge that step, that we can try to find something uh, around it so that we don't need that step or it takes us less long. Any of that drive that is required to challenge those things while product is breathing down your neck to, uh, to get stuff out of the door will only be possible when you're autonomous, when you have that motivation. Whenever you're starting new teams, even when they have complete autonomy, often you see them sort of arrive at some of the same things. For example, uh, on the path to continuous deployment, uh, teams inevitably realize that branching is risky. Okay, they and they look around and they and they they ultimately end up dropping branches. They learn that that unit testing and refactoring are, are very very important skills to have. 
So why don't we just dictate up front, here's how you're going to do it, here's what you must do. By doing that, we take away their ability to achieve excellence and to go beyond. In other words, if we tell them, yeah, X, Y, and Z are the three practices that you must always do, they'll only do those practices. Whereas if we don't tell them, and they ultimately start to move toward that, who knows, they might come up with even better ways to do things. Uh, They might find new ways of doing a lot of the things that we're doing today, and we don't want to be close to that. And we want them to kind of build their own path. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. You know, if they can find a different way of achieving the same level of of delivery uh, and same level of quality, or maybe even something better, we want them to do that. And, and, And back to what Hino said, they need to own it. They have to have ownership of that. The, the word I like to use is, is agency, is, is, is the essence of coaching, where we try to help teams and we try to, to, to get them to the, to the point where they make decisions. Because if we were told them, and it's, and it's very easy for us to uh, give them like suggestions and ideas, right? Because we, we've been through this. But again, if we do them and if they accomplish something, what we told them, then they will not really feel that it was their accomplishment, in the same time, if they fail, they will not. F- they they will just blame the coach or whoever told them the that that, that was the the reason, right? And this agency is is key throughout the entire entire life of the of the team, right? Including the coach, including the organization. Uh, without it, it's very very hard to to accomplish excellence. The other day, I I came across this uh, this one tweet by uh, scribbling on at scribbling on, and uh, she wrote this. She wrote. The quickest way to burn out, being in a job you deeply care about, but had no autonomy to bring about change. And uh, that resonated with me because uh, me personally, I've been in that situation uh, a couple times before. And I, I know that feeling where you you care about the product. You The product owner has done a good job of setting the vision. Uh, you care about good technical practices, but you're working in an environment where your natural instincts to do well are being inhibited or prohibited by something which you didn't create. Uh, So basically your creativity is being restricted by the organization and you're not able to care about the product or care about whatever you're doing as much as you want to. And that results in a sense of frustration. And in the worst case, that can result in turnover and, and all kinds of other things. So I think that, that that little uh, tweet sort of sort of summed this topic up for me because uh, without that you end up caring about a product but not being able to change it, which uh, which sort of sucks. And with that, we'll conclude this edition of the Continuous Delivery Podcast. Goodbye.